parable today comes out of Luke chapter 11 in the Bible. It's Luke chapter 11 starting at verse number 6. This is called the parable of the friend at midnight. All right, Luke chapter 11, verse 6 down to verse number 13. Now, this parable is very unique in that it addresses a very, very important topic to the Christian faith all across the world, and that topic is prayer and its significance. But the way Jesus tells the parable, he opens up this story so that you can begin to feel the weight and the significance of just how critical it is for you to be a person who learns how to ask for the things you need from God. And I know people feel like, oh, pastor, I know how to do that. But there are some specific highlights in this parable tonight that will help you if you'll pay close attention to the teaching of the Lord Jesus in this scripture here tonight. All right, so Luke chapter 11, verse 6 down to verse 13. Now look at me, everybody. Everybody here, you know that the one thing that God has given us as we all live upon this earth, because remember, we all got to leave this earth one day. Come on, isn't that right? The one thing that the Lord has given us on this earth that will connect us to God in heaven is prayer. It's like an instant line straight to God, and God wants us to pray, and all throughout the scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are constant stories about prayer, there are lessons about prayer, there are things about how we should pray, what we should expect when we pray. There's teachings about the enemies of prayer, the assaults against our faith in prayer. And so the Bible just keeps on bringing these lessons because God wants us as we grow in Christians to be able to grow in our effectiveness in prayer. And so this parable addresses this one particular issue of your life of prayer and mine and as a corporate body in the church. So let's take a look at it, starting at Luke chapter 11, verse number 6 down to 13. All right, let me get someone to read for me, and then we're going to start off. So please stay with me tonight, everybody, because if there's one message in the Christian church that should always convict all of us, it's probably going to be prayer. Because I don't think anybody in here would say, you know what, Pastor, well, I just pray too much. Most of us would have to admit I really don't pray enough. And some of us, I probably don't pray at all. And others, I don't really know how to pray. And others, well, when I pray, it doesn't seem like anything happens. So every time there's a subject on prayer, it really should make us tune in because everybody could have a better prayer life. Say amen. amen. All right. Luke chapter 11, verse 6 down to 13. Who will read for me? I need someone to stand and read nice and loud. All right. Marlene's going to read verse 6 all the way down to 13. Everybody follow it as she reads for us. Go ahead, Marlene. Hold on, I tell you what, hold it. 
I put verse six. We need to start start at verse number five. You know, you can just can you read it off of there? This is yeah, Luke chapter eleven, verse number five. Go to verse five, then it's back up. There you go. Start right there in five. Go ahead. Amen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the story first. Because the story is quite clear, right? All right, somebody here give me a little synopsis of the story. Because we read it in biblical lingo. I want you to put it in everyday Atlanta language. Somebody give me a little synopsis of what this story is all about. Come on, somebody do it. If you were telling the story to somebody about this parable, how would you tell it to someone? Well, y'all playing with me tonight. Come on. How would you tell it to someone, Nate? How would you tell it? way to tell it this is the story the parable called the parable of the friend at midnight now if it may have different names and different versions of the bible but all jesus is really showing us here is this i'm sitting at home enjoying my evening and i get a knock on the door i open it and it's a friend from out of town who I haven't seen for a long time. Wow! <laughs> man, fancy seeing you at my door. Where'd you? Man, I just came into town, wanted to come and see you, but man, I mean, couldn't you come during the day? It's midnight. So he shows up at midnight, knocking on the door, you know, so, uh, hey, he needs a place to stay, but he's been traveling. Now, think in those days, it's either on foot, on a donkey. Most people didn't even have horses because that was almost royalty 
So in other words, he's been journeying. He gets there at midnight. So he's going to be dirty. He's going to be tired. He's going to be hungry. And the first thing he wants to do is give his friend something to eat. So he quickly runs to his neighbor's house because this was a shock to him. So he didn't have a whole lot to put before him. He went to his neighbor's house and knocked on his neighbor's door and said, listen, I hate waking you up. I know the neighbor says his kids are in bed. Why are you knocking on my door? Because a friend has showed up and I don't have anything to give him. Can you give me? And he asked for what? Three loaves of bread. The Bible says because he kept asking, he gave him what he needed. And he was able to go back and prepare a meal for his friend. Now then Jesus starts talking about ask and you shall receive. All right, so you can see that the basic truth that he's trying to communicate in the parable is something in the kingdom to do with prayer, but not just prayer, something to do with being persistent. Something to do with not just asking and quitting, but asking and continuing to persist before God that, Lord, I have a need and you are the one who can meet that need. And instead of just giving up because it didn't seem like I got an answer the first time or it didn't seem like my prayers got through, instead of giving up, I just kept on because the friend had an obligation. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what I read in the Jewish Manners and Customs Bible. Now, I would recommend this. I've recommended this to a lot of people. Anybody who is ever really serious about studying the Bible and knowing about, you know, the truth behind some of the words, phrases, some of the traditions and customs in the Bible, you, you, you need to pick up this book. It's, it's unbelievable because what it does is it gives you insight into all the customs of the day that Jesus lived there, the customs and the Roman customs, the Greek customs, the Jewish customs in Palestine, how people thought, how they functioned during the time that Jesus walked upon the earth. Now, one of the things it said in this book is said that the, Jewish, the Jews in Palestine, listen to this, hospitality in the first century says was deeply ingrained as part of their custom. Now listen to this. This is something that you might not find here in the Western world in America, but it's something that's very prominent in the East where hospitality is deeply ingrained in people's custom. And it says not just the individual, but the entire community felt responsible. So if a guest showed up at my house at midnight the way the community saw it was it's not just pastor's guest, it's our guest. Because he didn't just show up to your house, he shows up to our village. Are you following what I'm saying? He shows up to the community, and because we're all a community, you, so your need has now become our need. So keep this in your mind as we're talking about this story tonight, because you can feel why this guy 
could knock on the door and almost demand, hey, you come out and help me because it was a community's responsibility that the guest had a place to stay, that they had food to eat, that they were comforted because all of us had a, a duty to make sure that the village or the community had a good reflection of God. Everybody understand that? Now, see, I've experienced this a few times in my travels, particularly when I was in Sierra Leone out in this village called Lungi. And some of you may have heard me tell about the time we got left, the ferry left us, and we had to spend the day in Lungi waiting for the ferry to go across the bay and come back. Now, this is not one of these fancy, high-tech American ferries. This is an African ferry in a very, very poor country, Sierra Leone. And that ferry, I can tell you, after about an hour of it leaving the port and we got left behind, it, it probably was no further than from here to Buford Highway. And it's got to go all the way across the bay and come all the way back. So needless to say, uh, we got left and we had to wait all day. So what we did is we went to this village to preach and to share the gospel and to pray for these people. And when we got to this little village, we, we, we followed this little track, and we got into this village, nice little village, and we told the people who we were, that we were American pastors, and that we've come to preach, and we're having a crusade across the bay in Freetown. And so they were all excited. They said they were going to come. But they asked us if we would start praying for them. Even now, during the day, they had all the needs, and they started bringing people out that were sick. And so Brother Al Lambert and I were just there. We started praying and ministering to people. But I remember the lady of the house, when we told her who, they, who we were, I remember how that she told one of her daughters, go and get some water for them. And the girl says, you know, there's no water in the house. And she said, quick, quick. Go to so-and-so. She made a name. And they, they ran across, you know, the other side of the village to get some water for us. And, and, and I remember when I was studying it today, I remember the story, how that they felt that, hey, we don't have any water. Go and get some from the neighbor. And she came back not only with the water, but the neighbors came too. And the whole idea is that, hey, we had some visitors here in the village who needed some water. And they didn't say, hey, listen, man, we only got enough water for dinner tonight. No, no, no. They gave us their water and they had to walk, you know, a couple of miles to the, to the pipe in order to get some water. But gladly they were to give it to us because we were visitors to the village. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so that is the setting that will make you understand a little bit about this parable that Jesus is teaching tonight. Not only did the individual feel obligated, it was deep in their custom, not just their home, but the entire village. Now, I think it interesting that the Bible says that when the visitor came at midnight and he went to his neighbor and he said, listen, I have a visitor. Would you give me three loaves of bread? And so I kept looking it up in this manners and customs and couldn't find it. So I had to break out all of these old commentaries I have on my, my bookshelf. And finally, I was able to get a little bit of insight into what the three loaves of bread were all about. Because I know can't nobody eat no three loaves of bread. <laughs> now, most of you know that the, 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 the custom here, we sit down at the table, 
you got a knife, a fork, and a spoon. You know, the Western world, we're so spoiled. You just travel anywhere in the Eastern Hemisphere, whether it be eight places in Africa, the Middle East, you know, anywhere. Go toward India, any of those countries. And even today, you'll notice that people don't always eat with utensils like we do. Even if you go down here to Desta, the Ethiopian restaurant on Claremont Road where we go, you know, they'll bring the food out and they won't bring you no knives and forks and spoons. They bring you this little bread stuff. You know why? Because the bread is the fork and the spoon. What you do is you reach down and you pick up the food with the bread and then you eat it. And then you pick up some more with another piece of bread. And I can see how you can go through three loaves of bread now because the bread is the spoon. <laughs> now, now, now get the picture here of what's happening in the story. So he goes to his neighbor. He wants three loaves of bread. And the Bible is making it very clear that the whole parable is about the persistence of this man in asking his neighbor to give him what he needs. God wants you to ask him. Amen. Amen here tonight. So I don't want you to mistake this as if it's just about the hospitality or it's just about you know, being kind and opening your home to people. This is not the deep principle of the kingdom. You can get that out of this parable. But here's what it's all about. Now look in the scripture. Come on, Luke chapter 11. I want you to watch. Now let's go to the context. All we read, Marlene read verse 5 down to 13. Go back to verse 1. Now let's set a little bit of a context. Look at the parable and then look at the end of the lesson. And you'll see that the whole thing is about you and I praying to God. Watch. Verse number one says this. Watch. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us what? That's right. Lord, teach us to pray. So this was their question to Jesus. Would you teach us how to pray? As John also taught his disciples. And then verse 2 down to verse 4 is what we know as the Lord's Prayer. Right? It starts off, when you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know the whole thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, etc., etc. So 2 to 4 is the Lord's Prayer. And then 5 down to 8 is the parable I just told you about the person going to the house. And then starting in verse number 9, he brings the application. What is the first thing it says in verse 9? So I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. He who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks bread from a father, or... or Ask, ask for bread from any father, any father among you. Will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a, a serpent? It says, uh, if he asks him for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead? And then verse 12, if he asks for egg, will he give him a scorpion? And then he ends in verse 13 with this. If you then, 
being evil know how to give good, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to you who ask him? Now, does everybody see the full context? The whole thing from the beginning, teach us to pray. Here's the Lord's prayer. Here is the parable. Here's the application. Ask, seek, knock. If you know how to ask, and if your father on earth can give you, how much more will your father in heaven give you? So the whole parable is showing us that how God's kingdom brings heaven to earth how God's kingdom operates where favor and blessing comes from God to your life is when you know how to ask. Amen. But not just ask. He uses the word persistence. So it's all about how you ask and then what to expect when you ask and the obligation of the friend and the obligation of God to move when you ask. Folks, this ought to get you a little bit excited tonight because he's showing you that God's kingdom works on a system where you cry out to God and God has obligated himself to help you. Now, I think it's interesting that in the parable, he's showing us that in the custom of these people, hey, I'm going to get up and help you. You know, you're bothering me. You know, me and my family are in bed. It's midnight. And it says, but I just kept on. Why? Because you're obligated to help me. It's not just my guest. It's the guest of the whole village. And he went out and did it. And he says, if on earth people know how to do that, how much more God in heaven? So how dare you to think that somehow your neighbors here on this earth are somehow more gracious than God in heaven. For you to think that I can go to my friend's house and borrow some salt, or I can go to my friend's house and get some bread, I can go to my friend and get a cup of water or, or a can of milk or whatever the case may be, and yes, they're going to give it to me because we're friends and we live in the same neighborhood. But then when it comes to God, people somehow think that somehow I can ask God, but God won't help me. What he's doing is trying to correct that way of thinking because people don't pray because they don't think God's going to help them. People don't pray. Because they don't think anything's going to happen. Or maybe they prayed a little bit and God delayed the answer and it didn't come through exactly when they wanted. And so they just back off. And what God is saying is you're robbing yourself. And the whole idea of the parable, he said, ask and you will receive. Come on, everybody. Do you get what he's teaching us? Now, one of the main, main lessons have to see this clearly. Let's go down to verse 11. And I want someone to read once again verse 11 down to 13. Because this is the big, big application. Come on, we've heard this before, but let's talk about it a little bit tonight. Somebody, who will read for me? Verse 11 down to 13. Go ahead, Graham.
All right, I want you to think about these two words. One is the word compare, and the other is the word contrast. Because that's what's taking place in this main part of the lesson. If your earthly father will do this, what do you think your heavenly father will do? Do anybody here know the difference between comparison and contrast? You said yes back there, Will? You know the difference? What's the difference between comparing and contrasting? All right, it's completely different. So in this story, what do you see when he's talking about the earthly father and the heavenly father? Is that a comparison or a contrast? That is a contrast. Somebody tell me how. What is the lesson in the contrast? What is it that Jesus is trying to teach by contrasting? Nate? Okay, Nate said our wickedness versus God's holiness. Now, think of the two fathers, the contrast. Somebody tell me. Come on. He's got it right there. Go ahead, Tapiwa. Okay, that is a big difference. One is an earthly father. One is a heavenly father. But think about the lesson. The lesson is about asking. The lesson is about persistence. The lesson is about prayer. What is he trying to push into our understanding of the kingdom. Ben? Okay, an earthly father is fallible, right? Now, earthly father may do good today, but an earthly father might not do good tomorrow. An earthly father might be there and help you and answer your prayer this week, next week, but because your earthly father is just an earthly father, there's going to be times when he's going to fail you. So he says, if your earthly father, who you know is not perfect, oh yeah, he did good today. Your earthly father gave you this today. He said, if your unsaved or let's just say fallible earthly father was able to do something good, then what should that tell you about your heavenly father? See, that's what Ben was trying to say. He said, your heavenly father will never, because the contrast is as different between day and night. He said, do you see the contrast? This is an earthly father. This is a heavenly father. This one can probably fail you, but this one never will. That brings confidence to your prayer. Come on, it makes your prayer a lot more energized. It makes your prayer a lot more hopeful, and it makes your faith a lot more solid. Isn't that right? By just simply looking at, you're not asking your earthly father. You're asking God. Come on, everybody. Now look at the text. The Bible says this man, when the, when the friend first comes to his house, <laughs> verse number seven, look at verse seven. And he will answer from within. Now remember, he's inside of his house. 
The neighbor is knocking. The man is inside of his house. And it says that he will answer from within, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. We are sleeping. I cannot rise and give to you. All right? So he's either angry or annoyed or maybe both. But we can see that he's reluctant to even get up. Maybe he's got to go to work in the morning. And, you know, in those days, it wasn't like a three or four or five bedroom house. Most of the time, if you go over to Israel or Palestine today, you know, a, a, a big empty room, a bed here for the parents, another bed here for the children, and sometimes they would all sleep on the floor, one big room, a, a cold pot was over here for the cooking, a little pot, what they use, you know, for the bathroom, and a lot of people live like that. So, you know, for him to, hear, to, to, to get up and be disturbed in the night, basically mean that you're probably going to wake up everybody. And so you can see his reluctance. (laughs) Then he says, this man got up anyway because he kept persisting. And he says, if he'll do that with reluctance, Anger, probably annoyed, if he'll get up and do that, what about the God who loves you, is full of grace to you, full of willingness to help you? Come on, don't miss this contrast. He said, if you can have faith in anybody else in this world, if you can trust in anybody else in this world, don't. Get in God's face and tell him you can't trust him. If you can call me and say, Pastor, listen, man, I'm short on my rent. Can you give me $100? I really know the pastor's going to help me. He loves me. If you can call a friend and say, listen, listen, hey, something happened. Like Brother Graham's tire got blown out the other day. Hey, can you, can you come and help me out? You know, he, hey, we're, we love him. We're his church brothers. Hey, we're going to run down and help him out. Times are hard. DeAndre's been in that situation before. Hey, somebody had to get up, go over there and help him. Oh, man, my car shut down. Hey, you all know what it's like, and it's so good. I know Brother Will going to come and help me. Amen. Say amen, Brother Will. Amen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and we don't mind calling him. I'm going to call him because I know that's my brother. You know. And so if you know that you can call your brother, he said, then why do you have such a negative attitude toward asking God for anything? But I'll tell you, God is way more faithful than I am. Come on. God is way more faithful than Brother Steve or Brother Will. What he's saying is God loves you. He is your creator. He is your savior and your maker. And he says, if you can depend on anybody for anything, then you must be able to depend on God. And don't miss that contrast. Because I'll tell you something, folks. This man is in bed sleeping. Here's what Psalms 121 verse 4 says. I don't know if you guys have ever taken a look at this scripture before. Psalms 121 and verse 4. Take a look at it up here, what it says. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber or sleep. God is on 24-hour call. Amen. So you ain't even got to wake God up. You got to wake me up. Talk about come over here on 285 and help me change my tire. You got to get, hey. But God ain't got to get out of bed. Hallelujah. God ain't got to say, listen, man, I'm tired, you know. I was over there working in Africa last week, and I'm really tired. No, God says he never slumbers or sleeps. So God is always concerned about your life and the issues concerning you and your family. Folks, this should be good news because the parable is designed to put some injection of energy and faith into the way you pray. Come on, everybody. So we go to the story. Bible says this friend comes, he's got no bread. Now, we don't know how much food he had, but we do know that he needed three loaves of bread. He's knocking in the middle of the night. Obviously, it's a bad time. Obviously, it's inconvenient, but it says he kept on knocking. Now, based upon what we've said so far, in this Bible study. Come on, I need some good answers here. Based upon what we've said so far, what do you think gave him the confidence to just keep on knocking? Now the man is in there, man, the kid's asleep. We're already in bed, man. He just kept on. You know, because most of the time you feel bad, wouldn't you? But he didn't, he didn't feel bad. He kept on knocking. So my question is, where did he get this confidence to keep on knocking from? Will? Now, he knew he was there as his neighbor. He knew he was there. Or somebody else. What, what, what? Tipiwa. All right, Tipiwa said he knew that he had a relationship with him. Right? All right. Who else? Dennis, get your hand up back there. What? Okay, he knew his friend had the resources to help. Now, you know, a, a crazy person can knock on somebody's door and they ain't got, you know, why are you going to call somebody who ain't got no money? <laughs> you know you need $100. You ain't going to call somebody. You're going to try to call somebody who got the money. That's probably why people call me all the time. They think I got money. <laughs> you know, I, I, hey, I guess it's good they think I got it. <laughs> Montiel? Montiel said desperation. That's true. Desperation will give you the confidence to keep on knocking. I got a friend here. I, got, I, I, I don't have anywhere else to go. Ron? Oh, 
Okay, that's good. Jenny. It's part of the culture. So we just got through talking about. It's part of the culture. It wasn't just his problem. It's his neighbor's problem too. And to keep on knocking is like, hey, we got a problem here, not just me. Right? Now, look at the word. And I believe it's verse number eight. Verse number eight. Okay, look at, look at verse number eight. Look at the word. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, does anybody in here have uh, uh, an old King James version of the Bible? Okay, what is the word there? Importunity. The new King James that we're reading translates the English is the word persistence. Are we in verse 8? Importunity is the King James word, and persistence is the new King James word. They both mean the same thing, and they both come from one Greek word. Now, pay attention right here, because this is where the parable hinges and has something to say to us. Now, the Greek word is spelled A-N-A-N-I-D-I-A. N-N-I-D-I-A. Now, that might not even be the right pronunciation, but it's A-N-A-I-D-I-A. Anadia, I think is how it's pronounced. Here's what the Greek word actually means. Persistence or importunity or importunate. Here's what the word means. I looked it up in the Greek dictionary today. The word means shameless. Listen, shameless. <laughs> the second definition is offensive boldness, forwardness, or disregard of feeling. So it says... He was persistent. So add some of these words in to get clarity. He was shameless. He was offensive. Or what we say, offensively bold. That means boldness that will offend you. You know, it's not like a drunk person. A drunk person is offensively bold. Right? They just come right up. They don't care that they're stumbling. They're spitting in your face. They're just bold and just offensive. He's spitting all over me. So it's a boldness that doesn't mind offending you. That's why he uses the word shameless in the Greek. It means somebody who's going to come and I don't feel no embarrassment. Give me some bread. I don't feel no embarrassment. Lend me $100. You know when people don't feel like asking you? You know, I really hate asking you. You know, they got their head down like I feel so, you know, I really don't want to ask you, Pastor, but you know, you know. 
That ain't what this word means. Pastor, I need some money. Pastor, I said I need some money. Shameless. I mean, bold, all up in my grill. Forwardness. You know what it means for someone to be forward, like somebody gonna ask somebody, you know, like 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 you know, a guy and a girl, you know, kind of, you know, he he likes her, but, uh, you know, and so he just coming, hey, hey, I like you. <laughs> Brother ain't even trying to hit around the bush, you know, like, hey, girl, what's your name? No, I like you. <laughs> First time seeing her, hey, I want to marry you, be my wife. You're rather forward, aren't you? Yeah, I sure is. That's the word. Come on, y'all get it. I mean, this is a word that means to literally risk being bothersome. Disregard of how you feel about it. I'm shameless. <laughs> Let me ask you a question to help you understand importunity or persistence an idea the word in the Greek to help you understand it if you're at home and there's an accident at 2 o'clock in the morning husband falls off of a ladder or a child you know is falls on a knife and stabs himself in the arm or something like that and he's bleeding you know when you call 911 you don't say you know I really hate bothering y'all. I mean, I know this is 911. I know it's 2 in the morning. Y'all probably eating donuts and playing dominoes. I know I'm really sorry that I had to call, but, you know, my child stabbed this. That ain't what you do. Do you feel embarrassed calling 911 when your child falls into a pool and is drowning or, 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 or stabs himself. You don't feel no shit. You're all hysterical. Ah, my child. Ah, well, y'all need to get over here right now. Hurry up. Hurry up. Right? That's the word. He's knocking. Man, we in bed. Man, my kids are sleeping. y'all sleep <laughs> but I got a guest that just showed up we need some bread it almost seems hilarious but the reason Jesus is using the parable is because he simply wants you to know that when it comes to you and God and your prayer life you gotta stop acting like you're ashamed to ask God for something you got to stop acting like you're embarrassed to get down and pray. Oh, I need forgiveness again, Lord. I know I really messed up a hundred times. You stop all that. And that's what people do. And so he's trying to say, in the kingdom of God, you have a right to ask. <laughs> Hallelujah. God has given you a blank check to ask. That's why he says here, ask and you shall receive. He said, knock and it will be open. Seek and you will find. And he's trying to get you to understand that as a Christian, 
Prayer is not something you have to hold your head down, you know, feel ashamed, feel like, you know, oh, God, I'm just a worm. He said, no, if you act like that, you're not going to have breakthrough in prayer. You see what the parable is designed to teach us. When you get down and you pray to God, and you're asking God to help you, you're asking God to forgive you. You're asking God to, to, to meet certain needs in your life. You're asking him to show you. He said, you don't have to hold your head down. God is excited that you would pray. And he wants you to be able to pray. And he wants you to have all dominion and all authority when you come and pray. Everybody say amen. amen. This is the attitude. That God wants you to have. Now you see folks. God will rise up. Just like this sleeping man. He said when you his child. Comes to him in prayer. God's going to rise up. And he is going to help you. When you need him. Oh y'all say praise the Lord right there. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to say before we finish off this lesson in the parable. And these are just critical points that relate to prayer. And I know that they are going to help us because there are particular lessons, church, very serious lessons about how you and I can have a successful prayer life. I want to give you a couple of them. Because God doesn't want you to pray and in your prayer just seems like it just kind of goes up a little bit and then falls back down to the ground and your prayer is doing absolutely nothing. There are some particular, uh, I, I guess you could say lessons, you could say principles, or whatever you want to use. These are things that help us to move into the realm of what we call successful and effective prayer. Now, before I give you the, 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 the three real quick little things, let me just say this one thing to you, first of all. Listen, one of the big mistakes that I think all Christians have a tendency to make when it comes to praying, and I'm talking about things that hinder and cause our prayers not to be effective. One of those big mistakes is that they focus on, listen, they focus on the place the manner and the frequency of prayer as opposed to the God himself who answers prayer. Now, I need you to get what I'm saying because it almost sounds like it's counterintuitive to things like discipleship, but I just want you to listen because when people focus on the place of prayer, they feel that if I get to a certain place to pray, then the prayer is going to be effective. That is just not true. You know, people think, oh, if I can just get to church and pray. See, you can pray at home. If I can just get, you know, over there, you know, to the holy mountain and pray. See, you can pray in your car. So this is a mistake that people make, that somehow there is a place where prayer can be more effective. And it's not just the place they focus on the manner of prayer. You know, like, am I standing? Am I sitting? 
Am I kneeling? Am I waving my hands? Is my hands down? That somehow there is a certain posture that probably makes prayer more effective. Listen, if you can pray hanging upside down from the rafters, then God bless you. We used to have people to swear up and down years ago when we were disciples. If you're not on your knees praying, then your prayer can't be effective. And y'all know how those Catholics are. If you don't do this before you pray, then you're wasting time. And so they focus on the manner of prayer. Then there's other people, you know, you got to cover your head when you pray. Because if you don't cover your head when you pray, somehow that is a violation. So all of these things people focus on, and they miss the key point. And that is, you know, what Tapiwa said earlier, is that it's all about your relationship with God. Amen, Amen everybody. You don't have to pray here. You don't have to pray like this. You don't have to pray this long. I remember there was a book that the Navigators, the Navigators is a great discipleship organization, you know, that was very popular in the 80s and the 90s when we were coming up in the church. And they lots of good books on discipleship and ministry. But they came out with a book in the late 90s. You know, I was already out pastoring. And in the book, they, they mentioned about, you know, going up to the high place in your city to pray. And some of you might not even know too much about this, but what happened is a lot of pastors in our fellowship in particular started figuring out where is the high point in their city. So, like, say, for instance, here, you know, hey, we go Kennesaw Mountain or Stone Mountain, that's a high place. And so, you know, we're going to go up to the high place, and we're going to overlook the city and pray. And he was talking about how that you go up to the high place, and you go up there and have prayer meeting, and the prayer is like 90 more percent effective. You know, the, the demons in the high places are pulled down. And so a lot of play pastors started finding the high place in their city and taking the whole church up, you know, to these hills and these places, you know, because they, they, they were so convinced this book was so right on. It talked about Mount Herman and Mount this and Jesus going up to a place to pray and the whole idea you have to go to the high place and tear the devil's kingdom down. Now listen, I ain't got no problem you playing on Stone Mountain. I ain't got no problem you playing out here in Plaza Fiesta parking lot. Because what happens is people idolize a place and then you've got a bigger problem. So much attention on the place and the process. And what you find here, folks, is God is focused on the persistence. And that is you pray and you don't stop praying. You pray and you break through. Like we said the other day in my message, push, pray until something happens. You pray and you pray. Now, here are the three things. I'm just going to have you write them down and I'm going to go through them quickly. But I do want you all to get some verses for me. Let me get three verses real quick. Uh, somebody get this. James 4, verse 3. Who will get it? Raise your hand. Okay, Ben. James chapter 4, verse 3. Somebody get this. John 15, verse 7. John 15, 7. Dale's got that. And then James 1, 6 to 8. Who's going to get that one? James 1, verse 6 to 8. All right, all right go ahead. Bill's going to get that. All right, James 4, 3. John 15, 7. James 1, 68. Okay, here is the first of these three very quick principles. To have successful prayer, you have to concentrate 
on the character of the person who is praying. Now, this is not a popular teaching, but I'm going to show you something. Right? In these just, I'm just going to read three verses, probably out of, out of over 80 verses in the Bible that I could have pulled out. We just don't have the time. The character of the person praying. All right, James 4, verse 3. Read it. Go ahead, Ben. Okay, so why does this scripture say that there are prayers that are not answered? What does it say? You ask amiss. Does anybody know what amiss means? Huh? Okay, how do you know that? Who told you that? <laughs> or basically, you, 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 you're off course. You're aiming at something, but you, you, your aim is off. It says you ask and you miss the target and you're, 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 you're asking. It's like shooting at the wrong target. So he's talking about. It said you ask amiss. Why? That you may spend it on your pleasures. Basically he's saying is the character, listen to me everybody, the character of the person praying is off. Because they're praying, and the whole purpose of their prayer is, I want this to please me. He said, that is a miss. That is off target. Instead of aiming at God, you're aiming at something else. And the prayer is not hitting the target. He said, and so you pray, and he says, you do not receive. To have successful prayer, your target has to be on. So he's talking about the character of the person who is praying. Does everybody see it? All right, read the very next one. Go ahead, which is uh, uh, John 15, verse 7. All right, so what is Jesus saying in this scripture is one of the keys to having effective prayer. Look at what he says. You will ask what you desire, and it will be done to you. That sounds like an answer. That sounds like effective prayer to me. But what does he say is one of the things concerning this effective prayer? What does it say? Abide. Okay, abide in me. I get it. What does that mean, somebody? What does it mean? Daniel, what does it mean? To stay, to remain or to abide. See, this is our big problem. We talked about it the other day when we talked about faithfulness. People are in and out and in and out. They're up and down. They're up and down. They're faithful. They're unfaithful. They're committed. They're uncommitted. Jesus says, abide in me. He says, when you lock in with God, you stay locked in with God. You commit yourself to God. It was the message last Sunday about finishing what you started. You stay locked into God. And Jesus says that is the character of the person who is praying. When you have an abiding, locked in, faithful character, he said your character means you ask what you desire and God's going to bless you. So asking amiss, and then he's saying abiding in Christ. Okay, there's one more. James chapter 1. Verse 6 down to 8. Go ahead and read. 
Okay, so he's talking about somebody who is expecting to get something from the Lord, but they're going to get nothing. See it? He is a double-minded man. He is unstable in all of his ways. All right, so let me just ask real quickly, then I've got to move on. Okay, what, what, what is this third thing now? Uh, we talked about asking amiss, abiding. Now, what is James 1, 6 to 8? What is he talking about, the character of the person as far as being able to have an effective prayer? Go ahead. Okay, you're going to be having doubts because your faith, you're not building your faith. And so people are asking, but as they're asking, they're doubting. Oh, yeah, everything in the prayer sounds good. Theologically, it's correct. But in their heart, they're doubting. I know people who, as they're praying, are thinking, God's not really going to hear me. God's not really going to answer me. And he says they're double-minded. It's like the waves up and down. I believe, then I doubt. I believe, then I doubt. I be he said, you're like a boat out on the sea, up and down. He said, you're unstable in all of your ways. There is a, a misformation of the character of the person who is praying. So there's three things. To pray amiss, to fail to abide, and to be doubtful and undeveloped in their faith. So this hurts the effectiveness of prayer. Everybody got it? Yeah. All right, moving right along. Now, there's a second thing that talks about effective prayer, and that is the nature of the thing, <coughs> excuse me, the nature of the thing requesting. Now, let me get a couple of verses here. I'm just going to go through these again, just like I just did before, real quick. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Somebody get it. Y'all help me out with this. Come on, we got to move quickly. All right, go ahead, Rhonda. First John 5, 14 to 15. All right, then I want to get um, Luke 22, 42. Okay, Danny, get that one. Matthew 20, verse 22. Who's that back there in the corner? I can't see. That, Brittany. All right. And then, that's Matthew 20, verse 22. Then Psalms 106 and 15. Who get that one? Is that you, Steve? All right. All right. Let's go through these real quick because we talked about the character of the person asking and nature of the thing requested. All right. First John 5, 14 and 15. Read. All right, so you all tell me, what is the key there to effective prayer? Ron? Come on, go, go back, go back, go back, go on, go on, right at the beginning. Read it. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything, you see it. As you grow in your faith with God, your prayers become less selfish. Yeah. 
As you grow in your relationship with God, as you grow in your prayer, you're not just down on your knees with a Santa Claus list. I want a new car. I want more money. I want a promotion. I want some new Nikes. I want this. I want a wife. I want a husband. You know, prayer is not a Santa Claus list. Because you just hold on. I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. See, the Bible says what happens. You pray according to God's will. And the only way to know God's will is you're in a relationship with God. This is why unsaved people have very little effectiveness in prayer. They're in, they're not in a relationship with God. You're not praying according to God's will. All you're praying for is, I want to get out of trouble. Lord, get me out of jail. Oh, God, I need a place to live. Oh, God, I'm homeless. Oh, God. You know, when you have a relationship with God, you're wanting to pray, God, what you want me to do? Who do you want me to marry? What job do you want me to work at? How do you want me to spend this money? Y'all ain't saying nothing. He said, this is what makes prayer effective. Okay, Luke 22, verse 42. Now you see it. You see it? This is Jesus about to go to the cross. And nothing in his flesh wants to go and die on that cross. And as he gets down to pray, he does not say, God, stop the cross, stop the cross, stop the cross. As his flesh begins to cry out, he says, oh, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. So do you see that God's will was something very painful for Jesus? Come on. God's will was a major sacrifice for Jesus. You know, sometimes God's will might be a sacrifice for you. And sometimes God's will might not be something that you're pleased with. Come on now, somebody. God, it might not be something that your flesh is excited about. But if it's God's will, he said, I don't care. Nevertheless, me, I don't care. Your will. What I want is your will. I feel my own self getting in sir. Matthew 20, verse number 22. Got it back there in the back. Okay, so gee, these <laughs> these these crazy boys right here. They asked Jesus, you know, can, can we sit on your right hand and on your left? And Jesus said, "You don't know what you're asking. You're praying." Ignorant prayers. You don't even know what you ask. People do that sometimes. You're asking God, God, if I just had a million dollars, I said, you don't even know what you ask. What you talking about? You haven't even been faithful with the $15 an hour I've been giving you. And you got the nerve to come here talking about give you a million dollars? Pay your tithes on the $15 an hour I'm giving you. Do that faithfully. 
Before you come up here talking about give you a million dollars, a million dollars will kill you. You dying with $15 an hour. You can't even be faithful. I can't get no amens in the house. Let me move on. I know what I'm talking about. And God knows too. See, y'all don't know what y'all are asking. This is way, way above your pay grade. Okay, Psalms 106, verse 15, quickly. Psalms 106, verse 15, who had it? Says, they got the thing they were praying for, but what else did they get? Leanness in their soul. In other words, they got what they were praying for, but once they got what they were praying for, they got far more than they bargained for. Because their soul or their spiritual life suffered because they got what they were asking for. You see, folks, uh, you, you can't pray ignorant prayers. That's what he's saying. That's why the relationship with God is so key. Okay, here's the last one. Uh, effective prayer comes from a, the, the purpose and the sovereignty of God. And all I want you guys to see in this real quickly, I'm going to say it, is that God reserves the right to answer prayer any kind of way he wants to. I mean, that's really, the, that's cutting it to the quick. There's a whole lot more that I could teach you in this, but here's all it comes down to. God is sovereign. And the purposes of God are greater than our purposes. And as we grow in the Lord, we learn to appreciate that because we know that Father knows best. Now, the two main stories that bring this to bear is the story of David when he was praying for his child who was dying. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Put it up there quick, Dennis. 2 Samuel 12, 16 down to verse 18. Everybody look up here, watch. It says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and laid all night on the ground. So the elders of the house arose and went to him. They raised him up from the ground, but he would not nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Now get the picture. David was praying and praying and praying and praying. God saved the child, saved the child, saved the child, but the child died anyway. And so the first thing you look at is like, well, he was really praying. He's a man after God's own heart, but he didn't get what he wanted. The child died anyway. It's like, man, that's crushing. But see, there's a backstory that you have to understand about the sovereignty of God. David committed adultery with the mother of that child. David murdered the, the husband of the, wife, of the woman. He covered it up in the worst kind of way. So the lesson about sin being serious must be brought to the forefront. Everybody knew what David did. He even hired people to send Uriah out into the battlefield. Everybody knew that, that, that the Uriah was gone. David was fooling around with his wife. So the whole kingdom knew about it. The army knew about it. And so this sin was public and shameful. And he's praying, let the child die. Now, God uh, let the child go ahead and die. 
David could not in any way somehow get an answer to prayer that would make him somehow feel that his sin was less serious. Now, I can't explain all of it to you. All I know is that this, God is sovereign. And there are some things more important, even though David was humble, he was fasting, he was praying, but there had to be a lesson for all of Israel to understand. Sin is a serious thing. That message could not be diminished. He's sovereign, folks. And this is one of the keys to effective prayer. Sometimes I don't even understand. It seems like I'm not getting what I want. It seems like my prayer is not answering. You've got to have to lay it out and say, you know what, God, you are sovereign. And right now, I can't understand. I don't really have to understand. I just have to obey. You are sovereign. Paul the apostle three times prayed that the thorn in the flesh would remove from him. And it did not. You know what God said? My grace is sufficient for you. I could answer the prayer and remove this thorn in your flesh or you can become a greater apostle by learning this lesson that my grace will carry you through even in your sickness. Amen. Come on now, somebody. Amen. And these lessons are very powerful because it means God is sovereign. You know, sometimes you can minister more effectively in your weakness, just like our pastor sitting in his wheelchair. We can't understand it. We know God is a healer. We've seen our pastor pray for other people to get healed, but yet himself is sitting in a wheelchair. I, I don't even try to pretend to understand that. I say, God, you are sovereign. And there's something about our pastor's ministry that is far greater and far deeper than many. And he always says, it's because of this one reason right here. Now, anyway, I got to leave you guys there tonight. All right, so anyway, the parable basically the parable of the friend at midnight, persistence, shameless, bold prayer, not ashamed to ask. It is the kingdom principle that God has obligated himself to move on your behalf. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid to break through in prayer to God because God is a faithful God. Can you all say amen? amen. Pray and keep on praying and keep on praying some more. Because I'll tell you, as you pray in God's will, you watch what God does. And I'm telling you, folks, I, I, I keep praying year after year after year. And I told you guys at the beginning of last year, I said, I'm, I have a special prayer that I'm praying. And as soon as the answer comes, I'm going to stand up in this pulpit and I'm going to tell everybody. Because God has put in my spirit that he hears and he's going to move. And when his time comes, everybody here is going to be rejoicing. God is a good God. Amen. Let's bow our heads, everybody. God bless you. You know, tonight, 